I know we've talked a little bit about my parents, the whole being hearing in the deaf world, but just for a little bit, not the entire episode, I do want to talk a little bit about the being a firstborn and being a young interpreter. Uh, My mom's parents didn't live anywhere near us, and that doesn't really even matter because they didn't know sign language. My dad's parents, they were older when they needed to learn that sign language and so I was kind of more skilled at sign language by default just because it was technically my first language. I mean from basic conversations to dealing with more adult issues my uh, (laughs) translating services were a part of my daily life. Literally it's hard to come up with a specific time to use an example because it was just part of my normal life. It's almost like trying to come up with a specific time that you drink water or change the radio station. It's just something that you don't really think about a lot because it's just so routine that it's not a memorable event at all. My parents, they struggled financially a lot. And I just remember constantly talking with places to try to set up payment plans or argue uh, an extra charge on a bill, dealing with requesting due date extensions. This kind of stuff would come up constantly, always being involved with like the finances and and dealing with bill collectors. And I do remember like certain aspects of having my parents be angry about something, even like when it's right in front of a person that I was translating to on my parents' behalf. And I'm expected to relay their anger. Even in moments where I've realized that they were overreacting or being just so unjustifiably mean. The awkwardness that I felt in those moments where I'm in the middle of this person that's just doing their job and my parents who I have to go home with. It was (laughs) so uncomfortable. And I'd also have to call places on their behalf so many times. Arguing over a bill, trying to get the power turned back on. Even just going out to eat required me to provide assistance with communication. It was always something to be aware of because if we missed the waiter when my dad needed them, if we didn't really emphasize that he doesn't want mayonnaise on his hamburger, then there was going to be an overreaction that we were going to have to deal with. If they even got a hint of you lacking the desire to help out immediately and eagerly, they would make you feel as though you didn't love them, um, that they were like this burden to you, uh, that you were a disappointment of a son. The concept of saying no or not bending over backwards for them was a shameful one. The shame aspect is really starting to take me back, though. Despite all of the time that was spent on them, if we didn't want to help, if we didn't want to do whatever it was that they needed or wanted, We were disappointing. We were bad sons. We were lazy or whatever the fuck it was at the time. As an adult, and this is so many years ago, they tried to pull this shit in front of me towards me and my little brother. I ended up following my dad out of the house, yelling and signing at him, just full of rage because of something he said to us. And I remember distinctly him just sitting there And me standing over him and just letting him fucking have it. It felt 
so good to say all that shit to him. But of course, it didn't have much of an impact in the long run. Not going to dwell on this part, but just to kind of bring it up as an acknowledgement. Religion was also used to push this concept of never tiring to be the perfect helper. Honor thy father and mother was beat over our heads constantly. You know, if only there was a line in there about, I don't know, treating your kids with gratitude. But I mean, hey, at least they made room for uh, not sparing the rod because (laughs) we definitely needed to get beat. The older I got, the more and more was put on me. When my dad started his deaf ministry, there was tons of things that were required of us to do. I was basically interpreting for services. I was also a quote-unquote music director for this church, which basically was me picking a couple of songs every week and then signing those songs each service. We'd be invited to other churches for my dad to speak at, and because kids being servants is a really cool thing in this community, we were expected to do songs at these churches, and some of which were freaking huge. I'd I'd be the one responsible for getting my brother, D and I, ready for the performance. My parents would even insist that I interpret for my dad, even if the church already had an interpreter who could translate. I really hated when they did that, because I'd just love to be able to sit back and relax for once, and it was just so awkward interpreting in place of somebody who's responsible for interpreting. Among all of the things with school, parents, family duties, and wearing the masks that we've talked about for so long, there wasn't a lot of time for self-discovery. And even if there were, some of that exploration would have been considered sinful. The idea of what I wanted or the question of who I am was just of very little importance. Last therapy session was an incredibly heavy one. I explained to my therapist about my efforts at staying high, staying energetic and happy. The efforts that I make to stay this way aren't necessarily healthy, and I just put myself in situations that I don't want to be in. But the rush it provides accomplishes this excitement that I'm looking for. The behavior that I exhibit in these moments, they make me wonder who I'm becoming or even worse like is this who I always was there are times where something is an amazing thing to be a part of but if you're doing it for unhealthy reasons if you're doing it in a completely unhealthy way the results of that amazing thing is just going to leave you and the people around you in such a mess Why be a part of something amazing and not do it in the best way that you can? This need to achieve the rush, the high, the desire to feel this nothingness that I feel inside of me sometimes with something, anything, drives me to achieve it in the easiest ways possible. So instead of taking the time to put in the correct amount of work and thought, I rush into it ignorantly. And as a result, this special, amazing thing loses its value. And I use it as an addiction more than anything else. When the pain is present, there's not much I can do to change that. 
But when the nothingness is starting to suck the fucking life out of me, these highs, these energizing moments make it so much easier to hold on to whatever life I have left. This nothingness is what my therapist and I spent most of the session talking about. At one point during the conversation, he stood up, walked over to the board. He proceeded to write out a picture that was worth way more than a thousand words. It hit me hard and made me realize that maybe I can finally know where this emptiness comes from. This picture was basically just a line drawn across the board. At the beginning was my birth, and the first point on this line was me turning 18, the age of moving out of my parents' house. My therapist indicated that during these years, there was minimal positive investment, is what he said, into myself. With the amount of time focused on my parents, on my religion, on my family, there wasn't much of a foundation for me to grow on. I was never really made a priority. I was always depended on to do things for others. Having the time to understand myself, or even how to process my own feelings, my own thoughts and emotions, it wasn't really something that I had time for. When those quiet moments did come, they were spent in shame or guilt, praying to God for the horrible sins of living in the flesh, or feeling regret over things that I could have done better. As a result of this minimal positive investment, my therapist included that there's a lack of identity, a lack of autonomy, and a lack of confidence during my childhood. <laughs> Pro stargazers will know early on that we explored this idea of wearing masks or donkey skin and having the realization that dependence on these masks, at least for me, led to an identity crisis led to me not knowing who the fuck I am. When I saw my therapist write a lack of identity down, I don't know, it was just like this moment of feeling like somebody finally got it. Speaking of donkey skin, uh, I finally watched that movie, maybe more than once, and, well, it's, it's as special as a movie about a princess wearing a magical donkey skin would be. And I've thought about like doing like a review type thing on the podcast, but I'm not sure if I'm really just kind of annoying <laughs> with this donkey skin stuff. But I don't know. Just be aware that there's possibly more than likely going to be an episode that is just completely devoted to this wonderful fairy tale. <laughs> but anyways, um, this lack of identity leads to a life of just surviving, a life of just going through the motions, one day to the next. Because how can you find that thing that gives you passion? How can you do the correct things that you need to do in order to set up your dreams when you're questioning who you even are? How can you really understand what your dreams are when you don't even know what you want? This podcast has done a lot for me. It's helped me talk through things that I typically keep repressed. It's helped me process a lot of the complicated messes. And it's helped me start this journey of discovering who I am. Because of this podcast, I have a hobby now. <laughs> Something that I enjoy doing and occasionally 
something I feel could possibly make somewhat of a small difference out there somewhere, somehow, at some point. This podcast helped me discover a passion that I didn't even know was there. An idea of finding ways to make an impact in mental health. Thanks to therapy and the random project of just recording myself in a car, I now have something that is a part of me and a piece of my identity. There are a lot of issues with not knowing who you are. It makes being happy a real challenge. You're only along for the ride of life than steering it yourself. And it really makes repressing yourself and keeping yourself distant, not only from others, but also from yourself, a bit easier. Because you don't really have a lot of trust in yourself because, I mean, how can you trust somebody you don't know? One of the things I've never really thought about was my personal autonomy. A lot of my life was just about doing what I could for others, focusing on their problems, considering how they felt. Any decisions I made, it was important that I kept others in mind, how to best please them, how to best make God proud of me. There wasn't much value put on what my desires were or what I wanted out of life. And even now, like I still feel so incredibly guilty when I'm making a decision that may only barely inconvenience someone that I care for. I feel so selfish and mean. Each decision I make feels as though I have the weight of everyone's well-being on my shoulders. If I mess up, my family suffers the consequences. If I choose poorly, I negatively impact loved ones' experiences. It can take me hours or even days before I buy something because I feel like I have to know everything that there is to know about this item, the options that are out there, where I can get it the cheapest. It's nearly paralyzing. There is so much anxiety when it comes to decision making. And I hate admitting that, by the way. I hate admitting that. Everything matters. Each thing either brings me closer to happiness or misery. And there is always this feeling of missing something, not having all the information I need to make the best decision. And that moment that I finally commit to a choice, I'm going to experience a regret that I'm so familiar with. And it's going to hit me after it's too late. The feeling of having to make the best decisions in everything I do impacts so many aspects of my life. Hell, I used to play Okay, nerd alert for sure. I used to play fantasy football. And when I say used to, I mean like this is my first year of not playing in like 12 years. The reason I'm quitting this year is just the amount of stress, anger, and frustrations that definitely outweigh the fun, pleasure, and relief. And something so fucking stupid. I can't believe I'm admitting how lame I am right now. But there are so many decisions to make in a fantasy football season and I'm actually pretty good at playing, but it's just not worth the negative feelings that I've experienced. (laughs) It's just embarrassing, silly, but winning or losing can completely ruin a Sunday for me. While my Panthers definitely have the same effect on me and, and they do it in such a heartbreaking way time and again, Losing a stupid fantasy football matchup because of a decision, I don't know, I guess it's just, it feels like it continues to deepen my lack of trust in myself. 
I can't begin to explain the grueling amount of hours spent over Saturday nights and Sunday mornings just trying to figure out if I should drop somebody, pick up somebody, which player to start, which player to bench. Was there something missing in the injury report that I'm not aware of? What's the matchups? What's the game plan? (laughs) I think making a lot of decisions aren't a bad thing, but fantasy football isn't really great at rewarding you for making the right decision. There are times where all the logic, all the information available to you guides you to the only correct conclusion and it will still result in a complete fucking disaster. I've had a ton of years since I've moved out of my parents. And I guess part of me just assumes that I'd have this identity crisis, the autonomy issue, figured out by now. But life isn't always accommodating. And the habits of putting others ahead of myself still ring true for me today. I think seeing this on the outside can come across as a very positive thing. Fuck, I used to think, I used to really kind of be proud of myself over the fact that I'd do anything for my kids and my wife, that they benefit so much for my willingness to put them above myself. But the thing is, like, you can't be your best self if you don't take care of yourself. And they deserve the best. And for me to be able to meet that, I've got to start figuring out ways to stop being so suspicious of myself, to find myself and be able to be secure in the person that I am. I say a lot in these episodes and honestly, I'm not even really sure what my goals are with these episodes and the podcast. It kind of (laughs) fluctuates at times, but there are two things that are really, really care about the ability to just process some of the things that I think and feel as well as hopefully be able to just be a positive impact in someone's life out there. If it's making someone feel less alone in their struggles, helping someone understand even just a little bit what a loved one with mental illness is going through giving someone a different way to look at things or even just try and break the stigma associated with this stuff. That would be an amazing achievement. And with this identity of autonomy, identity, knowing the real me, I'm honestly scared. I have no idea how to start that process in the right way. I've done things in an attempt to close that gap and fill the void that I feel inside of me. But as I've mentioned earlier, I've struggled with doing things in a healthy way. I worry that I can't trust myself in moments where I'm feeling like I'm getting what I need because in those moments, I don't ever want it to go away. And I try to do what I can to make it last for as long as I can. In my moments of weakness, the times where I'm feeling completely miserable and hopeless, I know that I'm going to want to do the things that I've always done to try and get through it. And it terrifies me that my progress could be stunted, but my inability to process all of this in a healthy way. Our constellations that define our history, that help 
guide us to discover who we are. They're made up of stars, of bright, shining stars. And they may be amidst an ocean of darkness, but they shine nonetheless. And this podcast is going to be that for me, and hopefully in some way for you. And since I can't share a positive, uplifting idea that I have to work through this or or a strategy to overcome this lack of knowing who you are or what you want, I want to share with you evidence that it is something attainable. A person that I used to know from my early teenage years made a very honest and personal post on Facebook. This person shared some very similar experiences with me growing up, and one of which was her religious upbringing, while the other was being a child to a deaf parent. She was someone that was held up as an example for others to follow, someone who I'm sure was under so much pressure as a child. In her post, she notes that once she was on her own, freshly married at a very young age, she had no idea who she was. Does that that sound familiar? After so many years of just trying to figure herself out, there was a big positive moment in her life. However, after this positive moment, it made her realize something real about herself. The thing is with indoctrination and the culture that you live in or lived through, it can turn things, even as special as realizing who you really are, into a very stressful and toxic thing. She kept this discovery to herself, living alone and repressing who she was. Eventually, it took a toll on her. She started really struggling with her mental health, and at some point, she ended up in an emergency room as she thought that she was having a heart attack, when in reality, it was a severe anxiety attack. After this experience, she realized that she needed to be honest, and she finally opened up with her husband. Through opening up, she was able to experience one of those really hard conversations that are equally, if not more, beautiful. I've had a few of those with with my wife, and sometimes these conversations are scary, sometimes they hurt a lot, but during those conversations, you, you get to see, you get to stare into the eyes of what true love is, and it's a part of life that I feel like I'm so special to have experienced. And if you know somebody, if somebody means a lot to you and and they're struggling with something, give them that chance to experience one of these conversations where true emotions, thoughts, and feelings are talked about, where they can show you the pain, then you can show them what that true love looks like. With her doing this, I get the sense that she's finally able to come to terms with who she is and is a very inspirational example that finding yourself is not only possible, but accepting who you actually are is such an amazing thing to do. 
And doing that is hard. You have to be brave and willing to process all kinds of emotions. It means that you're not always going to be comfortable. Obviously, there's so many variables and just so much more stuff that goes into each person's journey. But if you're one of us struggling to figure out who you are, let me point out a few things about you to help you get started. Every day you fight, every day that you get up and you push through and you suffer through that pain, it takes a lot of bravery. Your life right now shows how resilient you are, how strong you can be. Your ability to realize your issues and your pain speaks to how smart and aware you are. I know that things can be impossible. I know that the darkness can feel like it's engulfing everything. But every minute that you're still here is another chance to kick ass. And if you're as competitive as I can be, I want to enjoy kicking mental health's ass together.